I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai and the UAE. NATO's so-called mainstream media may have forgotten all about it, but the greatest eco-terror atrocity of this century was September's blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline supplying energy to Europe. Countless lives were lost from the resulting instability in EU prices, and the CIA were the terrorists, according to one of the greatest journalists in the world, Cy Hirsch, with Julian Assange allegedly being tortured today in London. We will perhaps have to wait a while before new WikiLeaks cables show if the CIA is at one with the strategy of Tony Blinken's State Department, seen as the leading, uh, leading on the war on Russia through Ukraine. Dr. Melvin Goodman was at the CIA for decades and is now Professor of International Relations at John Hopkins University and Senior Fellow at the Center for International Policy. He joins me from Washington, D.C. Melvin, thank you so much, Professor, for coming on the show. You don't believe Cy Hirsch's story that the Nord Stream was blown up no, by Biden, Blinken, Newland, and Sullivan. Hirsch's pieces for the last few years. Uh, that have been based on very little evidence uh, whatsoever, which is why he has trouble getting published in Washington and, and London, and he had to write his recent piece on Substack. Uh, he writes without evidence. He says he has anonymous sources. He says he can't reveal those sources. And the recent piece was typical. It was based on things that didn't happen, a joint press conference that didn't happen, a joint statement that wasn't made, uh, the lack of media attention to Schultz's uh, visit. Uh, this isn't evidence of anything. When I look at the uh, Nord Stream pipeline, my first question would be who benefits and who loses? And so I never thought the Russians were involved because that was an $11 billion investment. I didn't think they were going to blow up their own investment. Uh, the major gainer in all this was, of course, Ukraine, uh, because it forces Russia to use the pipeline that runs through uh, Ukraine. Okay, before we, before we believe uh, uh, the Desite and New York Times reports that Cy Hirsch alleges were uh, fed to them by the White House, what do you mean Cy Hirsch has been a discredited journalist in recent years? Did you not read his Abu Ghraib uh, revelations during the Iraq War 20 years ago? Not, Did you not I'm read not his stuff about, about the old, chemical... I'm talking about... I'm not talking about the older Cy Hirsch. Okay, I'm what about the chemical about weapons in Syria? No, it's what about Milai? What about Abu Ghraib? What about KL007? That's true. He's well, all his recent pieces have concerned he Syria. Greatest, you know, he was the greatest investigative journalist at our time. The last few years, I think he's been chased, chasing prizes and chasing awards, and therefore he picks up on... Well, on what evidence are you basing that? On what evidence are you basing that? I'm basing on things that he's written about that I know something about, like the, uh, the destruction of the Malaysian airliner. Uh, by Russian forces that were in occupied Ukrainian territory. He believed the Russian cover-up uh, of that. Uh, he points to the CIA in question of, in terms of the Nord Stream. There's, there's no evidence whatsoever. And this idea that the CIA and the German intelligence service have been tasked to provide a joint statement of alternative theory, uh, that seems very unlikely to me from uh, the way I know the CIA works and the way German intelligence uh, work. So I'd be, I, I would just be very careful with Cy Hirsch. I know it, it suits your attitudes about Nord Stream and what happened, but I don't think it's consistent with logic or fact. It doesn't suit my attitudes about anything. Does anyone really leave the CIA? You were there for two decades. Are you in the CIA now? Of course not. Didn't you read my book, Whistleblower? I testified against a CIA director. Uh, you, you, you need to do a little more homework. No, I, I understand that. But, of course, what you're saying now is exactly what Cy Hirsch is arguing, that you're believing uh, that the New York Times story and the desired story about the largest atrocity of recent decades, the Nord Stream uh, explosions, 
is from that playbook. That's in Cy Hirsch's latest Substack. I'm saying that Cy Hirsch has written an article without any evidence, citing anonymous sources. I happen to know some of Cy Hirsch's sources. They're, they're not people who are really credible. So therefore, it, it, you have to beg questions about how credible is Cy Hirsch. And then when you throw in the name like Julian Assange, you sort of give away your, your own motives in bringing this up at all. Why? What do you have against Julian Assange? Julian Assange, was, once upon a time, was a very important journalist. At some point, Julian Assange threw himself in with Russian propagandists, uh, and he took off from there. I think he's being treated terribly. I'm not, I'm not trying to defend Wait, him. Wait, you believe Julian Assange is a Russian agent or a Russian asset of some kind? I think he was doing the, the Russian bidding. Yes, when? I certainly do. Uh, somewhere about 10 years ago, he switched investigating all sorts of stories that dealt with Russia and only concentrated on those stories that would be satisfactory from a Russian point of view. So he became a propagandist. Well, WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks he, absolutely he a, denies that, as, as you know, and says that it exposed... Deny, I would expect them to deny it. <laughs> WikiLeaks, I know people from WikiLeaks who have a lot of trouble with Julian Assange. They're not exactly his supporters. Well, that's certainly uh, uh, news to us because we obviously interview a lot of people from WikiLeaks. So you're against Cy Hirsch, you're against Julian Assange. Uh, are you for Tony Blinken's position on rejecting a ceasefire in Ukraine as per the China peace plan for well, the no, war in Europe? I, I, think, I think the United States was wrong to be totally dismissive of the Chinese plan. Uh, I'd rather call it the Chinese plan rather than the Chinese peace plan, because the Chinese are still supporting what the Russians have done in occupying Ukrainian territory, uh, particularly Crimea. The war is not... Sorry to interrupt there, Melvin. So you want Russia to vacate China, Crimea? Let me, let, me let me finish a point that I'm trying to make. I think China has a very different attitude about the global community than Russia. Strategic stability and global security and stability are very important to China. Uh, to Putin, not so. So I think Xi Jinping is in a very difficult position right now, and he's exercised some restraint in not supplying weapons to Russia. Uh, this has been a very hard decision for him to make, and he expects, I think, the United States to make some restraint in a, as a reciprocal uh, instrument of power, which he's not seeing yet. My problem with Blinken is he's closed the door to talks with Russians and with Chinese, and that the United States follows a uh, policy of diplomatic non-recognition uh, that is just not workable, which allowed China to come into the Persian Gulf and exercise a rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which has huge global consequences, far more important consequences than actually the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, I think you, you exaggerate that when you talk about this uh, uh, great humanitarian uh, disaster. Well, I, th I think the reason for that, it was, it was, it was the greatest man-made leak of methane in world history, and uh, uh, tens of thousands of Europeans died because of price instability uh, over the winter, which was a, a mild winter. So Putin isn't interested in global stability. You mentioned the Saudi Arabia-Iran deal. Do you see that as emblematic of the United States' as a place on the global stage as basically the I beginning of the end? I think it's a, a wake... Well, beginning of the end is a little strong. But I think it's a wake, it should be a wake-up call to Blinken and his Department of State that the policy of uh, non-recognition and the emphasis on military power just is not working, and that China was able to steal a, a march on us because the Saudis realized after years of negotiating privately with the United States, hoping that the United States would weigh in on the Saudi 
uh, relationship with Iran, but realized that U.S. has no access to Iran, whereas China does. So China has signed long-term energy deals with Iran, long-term energy deals with Saudi Arabia. And it goes back to the old Chinese saying that they don't care whether a mouse is uh, black or, or they don't care whether a cat is black or white as, loose, as long as it catches mice. Well, that's the way Xi Jinping feels about ideology. He doesn't care about the ideologies of these states. Uh, the United States puts a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, so China stole a real march on us. It's a real global realignment in this but, I mean, important region. Where, where's Tony Blinken been? I mean, any, any person in a favela in Rio, arguably, or in uh, Lagos, or in uh, the entire global south could see that coming. What's, how many analysts do they have in the State no one, Department? No one could see it coming. No, no, the CIA. No one saw it coming. <laughs> I don't know where... You don't believe anyone saw... So people didn't know about Soleimani with a possible peace deal with Iran, uh, between Iran and Saudi Arabia? People didn't know about... No one knew that China was about to exercise this rapprochement. The Saudi-Iranian talks have been taking place in Iraq for the last two or three years. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with that. But no one expected the Chinese to come in and pick up all these pieces so adroitly. How many so agents did the CIA have in the national security state in the United States that they didn't know that when they could read a, you know, they could watch CGTN, RT, or Press TV, maybe Al Arabiya, they could find it from there. I don't know they? what you're talking about. The idea of China exercising this came as a surprise to the media community. Whether the CIA gave uh, advance warning to Washington or not, I, I don't know. My guess is that they didn't. I think this was a genuine surprise. And I think you're kidding yourself in thinking that uh, everyone knew this was coming. Do you expect uh, sanctions as a U.S. weapon to uh, be understood more clearly by the national security state of the United States as China helps Russia completely bypass them and uh, Indonesia is uh, talking about not using Visa and MasterCard and the entire global south now talking about de-dollarization? Well, I think the important thing that China is doing in this part of the world really deals with the Belt and Road Initiative. And where the United States has missed the boat is in walking away from the Trans-Pacific Partnership and trying to block the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank that China is setting. So the idea that the United States thinks it can contain China because it contained the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was a very weak state. The Soviet Union was like a third world country that happened to have nuclear weapons. So maybe they contained them, maybe the, the Soviets contain themselves, but you're not going to contain China. And this belief in containment is something that I've been very critical of over the past two years of the Biden administration. There's no doubt about that. You can't contain a power as strong and economically powerful as uh, China. And we should give up the ghosts because countries of ASEAN, the 10 nations that form the ASEAN uh, Association, and countries generally don't want to be part of a Sino-American Cold War. Uh, this is something that the United States better realize because their diplomacy will not be effective until they realize that containment can just cannot be done with, with relationship to China. When do you think the idea that NATO expansion was a good thing for the United States came to uh, the White House? Because I know you've written, you've written about- uh, an, anything that I write, that's for sure. You've written in 1996 that in 1996, NATO, NATO expansion for 25 years. No, but I, so I, I was trying to get at that. In 1996, you point to uh, uh, a domestic political situation between Bill Clinton right. and Bob Dole. 
as a uh, as, as an idea that perhaps got us into the war that we're now in in Ukraine. One can perhaps chart it all the way. Just explain that. That's easy to explain. Bob Dole was going to be the Republican candidate to challenge Bill Clinton, who was trying to be reelected in 1996. Bill uh, Bob Dole made it clear he was going to make the absence of NATO expansion a campaign issue and that he was going to be able to use this effectively against Clinton, particularly in industrial states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio, where there are large East European communities. Uh, Clinton, who was a master politician and a master triangular of uh, politics, said, well, I'll take the issue off the table. So he wasn't thinking about international security. He wasn't thinking about foreign policy. He just wanted to deprive Dole of a campaign issue. So he expanded NATO. He brought in Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And then George W. Bush made it worse by bringing in three former republics of the Soviet Union, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. And Putin made it clear that any attempt to bring Ukraine and Georgia into NATO would be unacceptable. And Bush wanted to move in this direction, but fortunately Angela Merkel, in some secret phone calls, uh, talked him back, talked him out of it. But the Ukrainians kept talking about becoming members of NATO. And this was unacceptable uh, to Russia. Uh, the national security interest in Ukraine is, is quite unique, very different from any other East European or Central European state. So. What Putin is doing is waging a war of terrorism in Ukraine, but you can't say what he's doing is unprovoked because NATO expansion was a provocation. The deployment of regional missiles in Poland and Romania was a provocation. The base we now have in Poland is a provocation. Sending an elite airborne division to Romania is a provocation. Bringing German troops into Lithuania is a serious provocation. Uh, the way Putin has exercised it, though, is certainly self-defeating, and he's going to make Russia even more insignificant internationally than it is now. Well, you say uh, it's terrorism. Obviously, the Russians would deny that. Melvin Goodman, I'll stop you there. More from the former CIA analyst and now senior fellow at the Center of International Policy after this break. this taboo on tenderness in the United States. We've exported it now to the world because of multinational corporations, and we've then damaged the belief that babies need to be nurtured and cared for and loved, and, and so you've got a whole bunch of traumatized people all over the world with post-traumatic stress disorder that don't know how to heal.
Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with former CIA analyst and now Professor of International Relations at John Hopkins University, Professor Melvin Goodman. In Ukraine, you say there were lots of provocations. Why do you think uh, media in NATO nations, whether it be the United States or in European powers, routinely says this was un unprovoked aggression? Well, I, I can't. I don't, I don't use that word, so I can't speak to that. But they why do, do you think they say it's unprovoked? Is it because the media is well, of, has a controlled I think narrative? It's of the, no, it's the way Putin has fought the war, the use of terror, uh, the fact that there's an arrest warrant out from the International Criminal Court for Putin and his commissioner for children's rights. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter to Putin because he's never going to travel outside of Russia or secure space in the first place. He's much too paranoid to do that. Do you think he'd get refuge in the United States where he'd be safe from an ICC warrant? Because, of course, the ICC has a... Uh, uh, is future the United States? Is the ICC is the subject of a uh, act in your Congress, isn't it? If they uh, if they send a warrant out for a U.S. official, the United States is allowed to invade Holland. Well, again, I don't know where you're getting your facts. The the United States is not a well, member the of the ICC. Act. Clinton Clinton signed the Treaty of Rome, which created the ICC. But the Pentagon put up a lot of resistance because they didn't want any of their military members. Uh, put before an international court. That, in fact, to go back to Seymour Hersh, Cy Hersh, uh, that's what he did his best work, his, his work on Milai in Vietnam. That was a war crime. His work on Abu Ghraib in Iraq, that was a war crime. You know, I'm, I'm just talking about the ICC and how, uh, obviously, the United States is not a member and launched a attack on the ICC, saying any ICC judge would be arrested themselves if they ever... Uh, Dead. We're not, attacking. Attack a, we're, not attacking. we're not attacking the ICC. In fact, we're privately, through the Department of Justice, supporting the case against Putin. We are. Right, this is the Hague Act in the U.S. Congress, which allows the United States government to invade Holland if the ICC uh, tries to arrest any U.S. official uh, for, for war crimes. That's, that's, that's an incredible non starter that's not worth a lot of discussion. The United States is not going to invade. <laughs> no, clear, clearly, but it shows a certain uh, type of attitude, arguably. Uh, you keep talking about Russian terrorism and so forth. What do you think analysts at the CIA and at the State Department, how do they, how do they see this war progressing? Because, I mean, I mean, presumably they realize Russia will win the war because of its overwhelming... Russia's already lost, lost the war. I don't know what you're talking about Russia winning the war. Russia cannot accept a defeat in the war, which has led them to these acts of terror. But if you talk about battlefield performance, if you talk about the retreat from Kyiv, the retreat from uh, Kharkiv, the retreat from Kherson, they've lost on the battlefield. That's why they've resorted to terrorism. So what happens to what happens to a nuclear state? What happens to a nuclear state? You teach international relations at John Hopkins. What happens to a nuclear state when it sees defeat? If one went along with that, which of course is rejected by uh, most of humanity, the idea that Russia is losing, well, what happens Medvedev, to a defeated state with Dmitry nuclear weapons? Medvedev has insinuated that a nuclear state will not accept defeat in a conventional war, and that will lead to uh, the use of nuclear weapons. Precisely. And now, if Putin has lost his mind and wants to bring down the whole temple, uh, then he might use nuclear weapons. I don't think. 
that his state of mind is that perilous. But the reason why I want the war to end, the reason why I want a ceasefire, the reason why I want an armistice, uh, even though you might not get a peace. Do you want a ceasefire? Korean War. So Blinken's wrong to say keep the war going on. I don't know if Blinken wants the war to go on. Well, he, he said no to the ceasefire. No, he didn't say no to the ceasefire. Yes, he said he there said must no not be a ceasefire. He said no to the Chinese plan, which is not genuine in terms of its commitment to peace. It's a pro-Russian kind of plan. I would have accepted it on the basis of a starting point uh, to find out what their fallback position is. You, because I think Xi Jinping is in a difficult state. He obviously does not want to supply arms to, to Russia. And he's obviously under some pressure to do so. But it was very interesting that what came out of the Xi Jinping-Vladimir Putin joint statement was the view that this uh, alliance or this relationship between Russia and China is not, named at, not aimed at any third party. Wait a minute. Who's paying for the war? China's buying the oil. I know the Europeans are buying the oil, too. Every bullet is... Uh, you can trace its uh, ancestry to Chinese uh, money in terms of the energy and uh, dual-use uh, weaponry is being supplied from China, according to U.S. institutions. Those are not the serious offensive weapons that the United States is talking about. What does Russia about? need from China in terms of weaponry? What Russia needs from China? They, they need artillery shells. Uh, they need modern armor. They need drones that are more than intelligence uh, collectors. There's a lot they need from China. China, in terms of its scientific and technological uh, success in the last few years, can run circles around Russia. Russia is now a... Well, I think once, you start, once your starting point is that Russia is losing the war... It's not going to sit down very well in uh, Russia's near-term future, being a junior partner to China that's now uh, making inroads in Central Asia. Do you expect Zelensky uh, to be protected by the United States? Usually U.S. proxies like Noriega have uh, ended badly. Well, I think the United States has made it clear that they're going to support Zelensky. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind about that. So wait, so you actually Zelensky. think I that... Wouldn't compare, I wouldn't compare Zelensky to an international criminal like Noriega who was involved in the drug market. So you That's actually think house. that uh, the Russians will eventually withdraw from Crimea and from Donbass? No, I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't so how is that. this going to resolve itself? Uh, I don't see it resolving itself very easily. I would, but I would like a ceasefire because a lot of innocent people are being killed. I don't see... This, to me, is like all quiet on the West. You want a ceasefire right now? I would favor a ceasefire right now. So you're against what Tony Blinken said? I wish Tony Blinken would act more like a diplomat uh, and less like a decision maker who's relying on military power. What I find ironic is the leading military figure in the United States is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So you have the leading military figure talking about negotiations and you have the leading diplomat, the Secretary of State, who's not talking about negotiations. And well, people are making a lot of money uh, from the weaponry. Would you want them to stop sending, uh, I don't know, I've lost count of how many uh, billions, tens of billions, 100 billion, who knows, $150 billion the United States has given. Uh, some estimates saying it's more than the uh, Afghan war in official figures uh, in just one year sent to Ukraine from the United well, States. Not really, but the United States is committed to making sure Zelensky isn't defeated by Russian active aggression. Uh, let alone a Russian campaign of terrorism. 
Well, as you know, and as you uh, alluded to before, China's role uh, is, has taken, it's taken you surprise, taken uh, institutions in NATO by surprise. Do you think uh, the United States' reaction to Saudi Arabia would be to consider assassinating Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia? Of course not. Does the CIA... I mean, you were at the CIA when Che Guevara was assassinated in Bolivia. Well, for one thing, assassinations that are conducted by the CIA, the ones in the past, there have been five or six, have all been ordered by the White House. The CIA doesn't have its own assassination policy. Anyone who thinks that is very naive or just doesn't understand how the intelligence community works. You have presidents who give orders to the CIA. Eisenhower, in the case of Lumumba. Uh, Kennedy, in the case of Jem. Uh, these were instructions from the White House that went to the CIA. The CIA isn't this rogue elephant out of control. But you've said that so the CIA on. is being uh, militarized. There are policy failures. There are uh, disjointed no, bureaucratic no, structures. American national security policy is militarized. The CIA has become a paramilitary organization. That's true. They're, they're very active internationally. But the, but the United States has built a global position based on having facilities around the world. China doesn't have this. Russia doesn't have this. We've relied too much on military power. There's no doubt about that. And in most cases, it's it's failed. Vietnam was a failure. Iraq was a failure. Afghanistan. We can see that, and many people say that that's why the U.S. empire is dying. But how will the United States react to uh, the end, say, of a petrodollar? To to what? The, the de-dollarization of uh, energy resources. Specifically from the well, Middle East. I don't, I don't see that happening in the near term. I think the dollar is still the international uh, currency. And Xi Jinping realizes that. And, and it's one of the limitations on uh, taking these $300 billion that the United States has frozen, the Russian assets, and actually applying them to rehabilitation of Ukraine, as some people are starting to call for. We don't know what the international consequences of that would be in terms of... What would of the, the point of that be if then Russia just blew them up using their hypersonic missiles? I don't see well, if how... Russia, if Russia thinks it helps itself by blowing up infrastructure facilities and civilian facilities and hospitals and maternity hospitals... They deny. They deny all of that, as you know. Well, their denials are meaningless, and you and you, no thinking person would accept the Russian denial on this. You see, once you say that, how can there be any kind of jaw jaw in Churchill's view? I mean, Blinken well, says no I'm ceasefire, and uh, you're exactly. seeing a future of uh, a Ukraine that's part of NATO, I suppose. I've written about this. The Churchill said, "Talk, talk is better than jaw jaw." That's why I want this war ended as soon as possible. It's serving no purpose. But you have no idea of how it should be ended. Well, the only way to start is to have a ceasefire and begin negotiations and then see where it leads to. I think there's a possibility that the United States could give some guarantees to Russia that meet their national security requirements. I think what's missing now is any discussion of do what the Russians would demand in terms of national security requirements that would lead them to give up their occupation of eastern Ukraine. So you believe, and I think, you believe that the Russians will leave Crimea? I don't think the Russians will leave Crimea. And should they that. leave Crimea and the population of Crimea to suffer the same fate as the population I, of I Donbass for eight should. years? No, I don't know whether they should or not. 70% of the population of Crimea is probably ethnic Russian. 
Uh, and it's interesting to me that when Khrushchev gave Crimea to Ukraine in 1954, they kept all their military facilities. I mean, the naval base never left Crimea. Uh, the headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet never left uh, Crimea. And this is true up until, well, it's still true to this day. So, so Crimea is a separate issue. So the, just, the I mean, just finally, just finally, so that we get, just finally so we get the parallel. If Mexico took Texas and started uh, bombing Texas, and we've had saying, that war already. It was fought. In, it was fought in the 18th. Yeah, if that happened again, and outlawed the English language and said Spanish must be spoken in Texas, and all American literature must be burnt and destroyed, the rest of the United States. Uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's not a parallel. There's no parallel. There. There's no parallel that you can see anywhere. Isle, Southern Ireland. If Southern Ireland started, uh, I don't see any parallel to the shelling Northern Ireland. Terror. England wouldn't do anything. State terror that Putin is fighting. He's making a huge mistake, and he's going to make Russia a very irrelevant place. And you probably know that in your heart of hearts. And why did the ruble? Why is the ruble the strongest currency in the world? <laughs> the ruble? It's not even an international currency. What are you going to do with your ruble? <laughs> It's thank you very much, Melvin Goodman. Melvin Goodman, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy this very much. That's it for the show. Remember, Going Underground will be broadcasting twice a week, every Saturday and Monday, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you very soon.